The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you. It's good to be back. Thank you for that introduction. What you may uh, be thinking, though, despite the introduction is, uh, as you look at us, I'm going to come over here a little bit. What you're probably thinking is, when they go on a road trip together and switch drivers, that's a really complicated seat adjustment, isn't it? Wow. Hey. Good audience. Good audience right here. All right. Okay. All right. okay so <clears throat> we remember back literally 25 years ago uh, is the last time I've been in this room um, that I can remember. And we remember back to a lot of really amazing chapel speakers, uh, some really smart people, some great uh, teachers, pastors, scholars that knew like some amazingly detailed things about the Bible, um, just some really amazing chapel speakers. We're not, we're not going to fit in that category. That's okay? not who we are. Yeah, that's, that's not really where we don't fit in any of those categories. God has definitely taken us down a, a very different path in life since we left here. The path of the doer. Uh, the construction worker. The fitness instructor. The business owner. The business owner. A race director. And the server. All right. And so um, despite it being a different path than what we thought we were going to go down when we left here, it's been a really good path. Uh, and we've really appreciated it. And we're going to tell you four stories today and two, uh, we're going to look at two examples from characters from the Bible that we see a little differently now after spending some time away from the theory of the Bible here and in the practical world of the Bible. And so we're going to do that. We hope it challenges you to think a little bit differently about your future and to, and to seek to find out what God has really made you to do. And who you are made to do it with. Do we have... Oh, yeah, yeah. I do. Um, so, as you can imagine, Paul and I did meet here, um, and I will tell you that we met, and um, there was this marquee conversation at a basketball game where this cheerleader, yes, there used to be cheerleading, um, was pulled aside to talk to the basketball coach's wife about this basketball player. And after some twisting of my arm, um, she informed me that we were gonna get married and that I need to make sure that I let him know that I'm interested before someone else swoops on in. So we did get married um, the day Paul graduated. Uh, we did do some, um, a lot of this life that you're doing, we did happen to do together. That's not everyone's story. That was our story. We served by doing a missions trip in New York City while we were here. We also, and I would not recommend this necessarily right now, we did a semester in Israel together, which was amazing. Okay, so one of the things that's really uh, become more known to us throughout our time away from here is maybe a very common, a very well-known verse uh, in a couple verses here in James. And I'm going to say, you know, stay positive when things get negative. Um, we had a few difficult times in college, uh, but they don't compare in a lot of ways to the difficult times that we faced after college. And so we found 
this idea of, that we find in James, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We found that practically working out uh, over and over in the, in the real world. So we, we've co- sort of come to believe that when something, you know, that's difficult is happening, we just, we see opportunity in that. And we know we can't freak out or go crazy. We've just got to like learn and observe and think our way through that. And God is using that to, to grow us. And we've seen so many opportunities in that in life. So I want to tell you a story uh, early on, uh, just... Just as we were getting to the end of our college time here, I sent out my resume, which was kind of small at the time, uh, to a bunch of different churches to see if I could get a job as a pastor. And most of them did not respond. Uh, But one church in the city, in the Bridesbrook section of Philadelphia, uh, did respond, and we went down there, and I spoke, and there was about 15 people in the congregation. Um, very, we got really lost the first time. Yeah, it was a tough, tough trip getting down there. We almost um, didn't make it. Before GPS existed. Um, so we, we take a job at this church, um, and we came out of Bible college feeling like pretty knowledgeable, uh, particularly about the Bible. Um, so we felt like, you know, pretty confident. But we were missing a lot of the other aspects of what it was really like to be a pastor. And one of the things that we really struggled in early on was uh, church business meetings. So this church happened to be a congregationally led church, so it means that decisions are by vote of of the membership of the congregation. And so as the pastor, I was tasked with the job of being the moderator of those meetings. Um, And so I very quickly figured out that it it was very difficult to moderate a meeting because you had so many different perspectives. And in this particular context, I had at least one person that would um, just get really angry in, in meetings and start yelling and, and uh, saying unbelievable things. Uh, and I was just like, what am I supposed to do? So it's like this very much pressure situation. It was like, we just tried to survive those business meetings. And it, we would hope that like, you know, maybe the next one would be better, uh, but it just it didn't improve. And so eventually I, d- I decided like, I've got I've to like make some rules here to govern how this is going to work. So I, I took very common Bible verses and I said, look, here's going to be our, our code of conduct for the business meeting. Like, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. The fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, some of those kinds. Of, and we discussed it. There was a bit of an argument as to whether we were going to adopt these, uh, these rules. Um, and it did not pass unanimously, uh, but we did adopt these rules. And so I thought, all right, problem solved, okay? Now everybody's got to adhere to these scripture passages, and we're going to be good. And it uh, didn't work. Okay, so next meeting came up, you know, same thing. My, my yelling guy started yelling again, um, and his, I was like... His face would turn red. Yeah, like red. Red. Yeah, bright red. Um, and so, I was, again, I was like, all right, now what do I do? Okay, so being a very young pastor, I, I phoned a few friends, other pastors, uh, even professors from this school, and I was like, what should I do? And so they said, oh, basically, if you're running a meeting by Robert's Rules of Order, you have two options. You can a point of sergeant of arms from within the membership to, you know, take care of this guy. Or you can call an outside authority, like the police. And I thought about who we had in the meeting, and I was like, yeah, we don't really have a good option for an internal sergeant of arms. Um, it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> so, yeah. so we, I was like, all right, calling the police is the best option. All right, that sounds crazy, 
but that's going to be the best option. So we get to the next business meeting. My yelling guy erupts again, and turns I'm like, red. turns red. Like, look, and I, I never thought I would have to exercise this option, but I was like, look, if you don't stop, I'm going to call the police and have you removed. His response was, go ahead. So I pulled out my phone, and I'm in a church business meeting in the side room of that building right there, and I dialed 911. It's not too often in life you have to dial 911, but I dialed it, and I have to talk to the operator, and I have to explain why I need the police in this situation. It took about probably 10 minutes for the police to get there. It, we, felt, yeah, it felt like three hours. Yeah, we sat in silence. The police officer comes to the door. I get up, I see him coming, I get up. My yelling guy gets up as well, and we meet him at the door, and I explain to the police officer the situation, and he looks at me, he looks at the guy next to me, and the police officer says to me, he's like, so you're like the priest here, right? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. Um, and he's like, all right, you gotta go. He tells to the angry guy, and he was like, he's like, I'm not leaving. And the police officer was like, there's two ways you can leave here on your own or with me helping you. And then he, he left, okay? So there just seemed to be situation after situation that we would run into that we did not expect that was like, you have to stay calm. You have to be positive when things get negative and you have to think your way through it. So lessons learned in those times. Story number two. Story number two. And I, I love that second number you did about the storm. Um, I'm not going to tell you a story about a storm, but I am going to tell you a story about a boat. Um, so go back to that picture because it's just super cute. And our, our firstborn son is like completely a poser and he has not changed. Yeah. Just for the record. Um, but literally our hardest job is right there represented in this picture. Not just on those days when they were little but all the way through, like God has given us this great privilege and responsibility to be a team and raise these humans together. And it's been the hardest thing. Um, but one of the things we decided, and you can advance, is to do some hard things with them. So we decided, when they were this age in this picture, to purchase a 1978 sailboat and refurbish it in our yard. We've been sailing twice. And we're like, all right, we're gonna learn how to sail. So we refurbished it. We dropped it in the harbor in Camden, and we spent a season teaching ourselves to sail. Um, at the end of that season, we decided that we were going to meet some friends and go camp. They were camping at Elk Neck, Elk Neck State Park in the Chesapeake. Yep, here we go. So they were at the campground. We were like, instead of packing our tents up, we we're going to go on a sailboat, and we're going to, you know, half sail, half motor down to the Chesapeake, and we're going to anchor our sailboat about 100 feet off of the campground. So friends are camping, we're in the sailboat. So we have dinner with them, we do the campfire thing, the whole deal, and we had brought a canoe so that we could get from the shore to the boat. So all four kids are with us, we put them in life jackets, Paul and I go in the front and the back of this canoe, and we decide to start paddling towards the sailboat. Um, to settle for the night and sleep there. And as we are going, there comes some waves because a barge had come through and, it's, and their, their waves are coming through the bay and it hits our canoe and we go a little bit like this and Paul's like, all right, everybody, in the middle of the boat, middle of the canoe, sit really still. The second wave, I kid you not, white caps in the Ches Chesapeake. 
And I'm like, this is not like the last wave. And it literally hit that canoe, capsized us, everyone went in, flipped upside down, which is great when it's not 9.30 at night, um, pitch black. Now, it was very warm water. That was going for us, it was not stormy. But we were entering into our own little problem here. We're halfway between the land and the sailboat. So going back doesn't save us much. We gotta get to the sailboat one way or another. We try to flip it over and get that water out, but there's no getting the water out of this canoe um, without getting to some dry land. So Paul decides to grab the rope on the front of the canoe and just hold on to it and start swimming. Um, and then our kids are bobbing on either side of the canoe. I'm somewhere in the back. And he, as he's going forward, I'm going to let him take over here. So I, I had forgotten that the Chesapeake Bay is tidal, uh, which means that it, it comes in and out. Okay, so I, I picked a spot. I picked the sailboat to go to. So it's a little bit like swimming in this direction. But I didn't realize that the, the whole room was turning. Okay, so when I got to where I was aiming... The boat wasn't there, okay? And so once I realized that the boat was off to my right, I, started, I turned and started to swim against the tide and realized that I wasn't making up the distance. The tide was moving me back at the same pace that I could swim. So at that point, he's completely spent, completely spent. And Paul and I are not in life jackets. And um, he's like, all right, Kim, you're going to have to take this rope. And there was a length of rope at the end of the, uh, at the nose of the canoe, and he's like, you're gonna have to take the rope in your hand, and um, I'm going that way. Oh, okay, I'll go this way. Good deal. All right, so you're gonna have to take that length of rope in your hand, and you're gonna have to let it slide as you swim. So I'm like, okay, okay, and then once I get to the sailboat, then I can grab this rope, and I can start pulling the canoe from the sailboat. So I'm swimming, I'm swimming, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I'm pretty calm, doing all right, I'm swimming, I'm swimming, ah, I dropped the rope. Like literal panic, I dropped that rope, it falls down. It was about down. that loud too. It, it was. Kim's I am never not, been quiet. I, I have the built-in megaphone. So I was very loud, I was very panicked. I was in a moment of like, I, I literally have my husband drowning back there and I am not able to help anyone. And I had the one tool I needed to be able to solve this problem, and I just dropped it. So that moment of panic stayed for just a, a little bit, and I looked at where I was, and I looked at that ladder in the back of the sailboat, and I said, I know how to swim. I know how to swim in open water. I can do this. Paul says, swim to the boat, turn it on, which I'd never done before, flip it around, and you're going to have to come back. So I start swimming. I, I calm myself down. I said, Lord, you're going to have to take care of me, um, and you're going to have to take care of us. And I get on that sailboat. It's got this old diesel engine. It never starts the first time. I'd never done it. I start the diesel engine on the second try. I have mixed reviews from all the little people and Paul trailing behind me about what to do. Everybody has an opinion. Yes. Pull the anchor. Start the boat. Pull the anchor. Start the boat. I pull the anchor. I start the boat in the second try. And then the other thing that happened is our four kids are in their life jackets. So Paul's like, swim for the sailboat. So I have a line of bobbing heads coming towards me. All right. So I grab the, the tiller and I get a big spotlight. I flip the boat around and I head towards them. I also took the rescue buoy that's like on a... Um, 
on a big rope, and I threw that in. One of our sons grabbed that, had the ride of his life. And I'm got the, I got the, the heads, bobbing heads are in my spotlight, and I'm able to maneuver and come back and pick Paul up. One of our kids is like, no, save me, just save me. And I'm like, your father has no life jacket, and he just swam with all of us in tow. And um, I'll pass to Paul and tell us the rest of the story. So Kim was successful in getting back to us. We rounded up all four kids, got them in the boat, and it was like, it was a pretty cool experience because we just sort of huddled together in the, in the bottom of the boat and just thank God that we were all alive. We didn't expect it to get that serious, um, but we were thankful that uh, God got us through that, through that situation. So we got there. Um, next story really is tied to that story in that you know, God has allowed us to do our own things, but when we came together, we were, we were given the opportunity to do so much more. Um, and for you, if that means doing life with a spouse, that's amazing. If that means doing life with others and serving God with all that you have, that's amazing as well. They both have their benefits and challenges. But here's a picture of Paul and I on either side doing our thing. So each kind of, as our kids got older, we found our thing. My thing ended up being triathlon. Paul ended up being, you know, the Montana man that he is doing hunting. And we were pursuing those hardcore. They were taking a lot of our lives. They were taking our travel. They were taking time away from our family, time away from one another. And they were our own independent pursuits. Um, One of the verses that we clung to even in our dating years was Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant as yourself. Let each of of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there came a point in our marriage where we looked at each other and we're like, we're both pursuing different things. We're not pursuing, you know things that are together. So we decided to find something neither of us knew anything about. One of them was sailing. The other one Paul will talk about in a minute. But in 2018, God really honored beyond our wildest dreams those two things that we fell in love independent of one another and brought them together. So it was July 2018. Um, I'm married to this Montana man, and he's like, we need to find more land. Deptford, New Jersey is not known for land known for malls and stuff, but we were hunting for, you know, looking for land. So we, we came into this property, and uh, in my mind, this was Paul's gig, right? Like, we were looking for a place to, to have um, an area for the kids to run and play, build forts, build tree houses, Shoot potentially... Stuff hunt. Yeah. Um, it was not my pursuit. And we came around the corner and this is what we saw. And I looked at it and I'm like, what in the world is here? This is a, a gorgeous clear lake with literal lane lines. There were buoys and you can't see them too clearly, clearly, but still to this day, there's buoys that make lane lines in this lake. And I just like my jaw literally dropped, and I said, God, you put lane lines for triathletes in this lake. Um, and and this, this property has 130 acres, and it, it clearly has the woods. It has pieces of Montana here in, in uh, the tri-state area, not the mountains, but, you know, the woods and the trees and the land to run and play. And we, um, we Ran into some room blocks, but we en- did end up purchasing this property and working on it together. Um, that even that uh, 
that you see that little dock in the, the archway there, that was one of the pieces that we built. We spent a lot of time building together with one another. Our COVID season was spent building together with Paul and I, also with our kids. Um, and that those doors are open. They opened in 2020 when every other fitness door closed. We opened up to bike, to swim, um, to paddleboard, to just explore and trail run and do have acts and run events. So Paul and I have had the opportunity to bring those things. And our church family has been there. Paul has obviously been able to rekindle some of that hunting. Um, we built a ditch a week ago. So, uh, you know, there's all kinds Fun of great stuff. adventures and things that we could not have done alone. And the choices to do it together have made such a difference. All right, so story number four. <clears throat> Sorry, I messed it up. Yeah, it's okay. So in our effort to work together uh, for Kim and I, um, we, we looked, actively looked for places where we could um, kind of meet in the middle. And so one of them was running. Kim loves to run. I, I didn't like to run. I still don't like to run. But, um, but I like running when you have, like, stuff to do. And so obstacle course racing was something that's very popular back in, like, 2012, 2014. And so I started doing that. Kim and I did a few events together, and we noticed that they're just very popular. Um, Has anybody done one? Yeah. Anybody done an obstacle race of any sort in okay. the world? A few. A few All right, a few. Good deal. So, and we're like, they're so popular, so many people are coming. And at the same time, we were getting more and more involved in humanitarian projects. We had built houses in Haiti. We had worked in hurricane relief, different aspects. And we are like, all of these places in the world where they need help, they need physically us to be there, but they also need, they need money to be able to do the projects that, that help the people that are there. And so we're like, you know, maybe there's a way to mix these two things together. So I was in the midst of preparing for an adult Sunday school class where I was going to teach a lesson on Elijah. And I was thinking about these two things, and I thought, <clears throat> I'm just going to scrap this entire lesson, and I'm going to put together a business plan. And I'm going to go to, we had like 40 people in our adult Sunday school and I'm going to say, you know, let's put on an obstacle course race in South Jersey. And I laid it out like, you know, five-year plan. I did all this stuff, and I'm all excited. And I get to the end of the class, and I'm like, all right, who's in? Who's doing this with us? And everybody's like, well, you know, it's a cool idea, but uh, i got to go to church or, you know. And basically, everybody walked out. And it didn't land. It didn't, it didn't work. Um, and so... We don't, we don't give up easily, right? So we just kind of kept talking to people about it, and we kept kind of mentioning it here and there. And about a couple months later, we, we went out to dinner with a, a couple from our church that, didn't, that wasn't in that adult Sunday school class. We did meet them at nursery. We met them in nursery. That's true. Um, we, we, talked to the, we, we put out the business plan there, and they looked back at us, and they said, we're in. All in. All right? And so that's when Goliathon officially started. And we just about a month ago, completed our 18th event in South Jersey. And if you, I, Sam, if you want to queue up that video for me. Oh, sorry. If you, while that video's queuing up, we have a table out, outside and we have t-shirts that we're willing to give away if you stop by and talk to us and give us uh, your social security number. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, I, mean, I mean your email address. Um, we'll give you a t-shirt. Here's a view of what, what we do.
Yeah. You want to? All right. There we go. Okay. So we've raised money. We particularly focused on water projects uh, for places in the world that don't have clean ac access to clean water, and we've funded a lot of projects over the years. I want to interject to you. I'm sure you don't know this, but there's um, other alumni. We brought three of our nephews in. So um, Rachel and Tim Stone, who both graduated from here, and then uh, Amber Stone Williams, their sons, their oldest sons joined us this past Goliathon to help us, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So what we, what we found in doing that was, you know, you can, you can you know, get a degree and you can go out and do your thing, but you're limited in what you can accomplish by yourself. Mm. Uh, this really took a team effort. On event day, we have 120 volunteers that come and help us, and there's a 10-person team that, that run it. Uh, and so it's been something that's really cool as we've seen you know, God use all these other people and work together to accomplish this. All right, this is our first... Biblical character, biblical character biblical yeah. Biblical character. Um, I, I just love the story of Esther, and I want to um, just look at this very short snippet from the story. Um, if you keep silent at the this time, relief and deliverance will, will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And I love this because I think we misquote it. It's a question. Who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this? And at this point, Esther's like, I don't know. I, I've been here. I, I've done this thing. Uh, maybe I'm prepared to do this. And, and she's faced with a question, am I going to do this knowing that the king may have my head? She says, yes. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather the Jews to be found in Susa, tell them to fast day and night, I will fast, my women will fast, and I love this, and then I will go to the king. I will say yes, if I, though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. So recognizing she is in a position of life or death and deciding to be brave. Um, there are moments, maybe you've encountered them, maybe you will encounter them, where you drop the rope and you realize, I have to make a decision. Am I going to move ahead and say yes and be brave and ask the king, even though I may, I may die, am I going to be brave and take the next steps that I'm not sure if I'm prepared to do? And when you stop in those moments and you say, Lord, you know what? You did prepare me to do this. You did give me the ability to swim in dark, open water. You did give the, me the ability to take the risk. You brought me here to this moment, and I can say yes. That really is the challenge. Are you able to do the hard work before you that God has set before you today and keep doing it and keep doing it so that when you come into that critical moment, you're able to say yes? All right. Biblical character number two, Joseph. So I want you to take a close look at my outline here. This, this uh, harkens back to my biblical education that I've got it kind of outlined in this uh, to dream format. Uh, but the life of Joseph, I assume you guys are all familiar with that. You probably read the commentary in the Bible three times and all that stuff. So Joseph's life has two dreams at the beginning, two dreams in the middle, and two dreams kind of towards, uh, towards the end when he when he's, goes before the Pharaoh. There's something that jumps out to me in Joseph's life that didn't when I was here in school. Um, and 
obviously he goes through some difficult times. He, you know, gets sold into slavery. He goes into prison. Um, but God clearly is with this young man throughout his time. Um, but God is with him in, in not like a vacation kind of with him. He's more like with him in a prison kind of with him. So he's, he's kind of teaching him these things. <clears throat> and so it kind of culminates when he gets, gets called out of prison and he goes before the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's had these dreams and he has one job. He comes before the Pharaoh and he has the job of interpreting the dreams. And so he goes through and he, he does the interpreting and he, he attributes that to God. And this is the last verse of the interpreting of the dreams. And it says, now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. That is the end of the interpretation of the dream, but it isn't the end of, of Joseph talking. So I don't know how you would feel if you went before like the president of the United States, but I think you'd be like pretty interested in only doing what you've been asked to do. Joseph doesn't do that without, without like, you know, it's, it's the verses, but without like seeming to take a breath, he just goes right into the next section and he says, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt for the seven, in the seven years of abundance. This is, a, this is a business plan, okay? And Joseph just knew that this is what needed to happen next, could you do that? If you were faced with a situation like this, could you do that? Could you know what needs to happen next? How could Joseph do it? Joseph was able to do it not because of, you know, being the favorite child and having the coat of many colors. Those, those things didn't help him figure out what was next. The difficult times, the James 1 times, the staying positive in the midst of a, of a negative situation. That's what got Joseph to a place where he could say what needs to happen next. And ultimately, that's what we've sort of been learning uh, in our time outside of college. And we are hopeful that you will also learn that. We know that, you know, we meet Karen University grads out there in the real world, and they've gone in a lot of different directions. And so we hope for you guys that you're taking the difficult times that you're experiencing now and will experience and you're using them to grow and to learn and to be the kind of person that does know what needs to happen next. Here's some takeaways. All right, so think positive when things seem negative. I've said that a few times. That's been so critical for what we've done. Uh, you will hit negative times. So when you do, you need to be able to respond like Joseph did. And it's very unlikely that you're ready to do that now, but you can get there, all right? God has a path ahead of you, and you can get there. Next takeaway is team up. You know, Kim and I have teamed up on a lot of things, you know, even putting together this talk with you guys. This is a, this is a team effort, right? And so we've, we've thought through this together, uh, but we've teamed up on so many other things besides raising kids, uh, and it's been really great and really have seen you know, what I'm good at, what she's good at. We're very different people, uh, but we've, we found a way to, to make that team work. And we've found so many areas of life. When we work with other people, we can accomplish so much more. Could be a good thing if God takes you down some unexpected roads, okay? So we, ex we expect that, actually, that God will take you down some unexpected roads. And, and don't look at that as a bad thing. We have gone down. We don't work in the degree that we got from Karen University. We don't. But we, we use it all the time. Yes, we do. Last takeaway. Um, find out what you were made to do. 
And like Esther, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Esther literally spent one year with seven women helping her put perfume and lotion. Spa like day. A, a spa day. Spa year. Spa year. All right? So I, I don't think I could do that. I have a hard time laying there still for a few minutes. But she was called to do this thing, and she did it. And she did it in a way that was... Um, honoring to those who were around her and ultimately honoring God and finding what God created her to do, not knowing that being in that position would bring her to a place that she would be called to be brave enough to go to the king, risking her life to save her people. Find out what you're made to do. Do the next thing. Do it with everything you've been given recognizing that when you do the thing God has created you to do, there is great joy. So that, yes, you are able to consider it all joy when you encounter those trials because you know with confidence that he has called you to do this thing. He has given you this purpose. So find it. Do it. Dream it is great. Do it is better. So we leave you with that. Find out what, you, what God has created you to do and do it. Do it with the people he's called you to do it with. Let's pray. God in heaven, we praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for um, the moments that you call us to do the thing you call, that you have created us to do. And we trust you to help each one in this room find that that we might be able to enjoy you and glorify you forever. Amen.